The following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Good morning, family. I hope you guys are doing well today. It's great to see you. Hopefully everyone's getting over their turkey coma. Anybody going through a turkey coma? Or ham or whatever you guys do. Uh, it's great to spend time with family and do stuff like that. As you guys know, Angelica, our worship leader, is in Africa right now. And she's going to be coming back uh, later this week. And we have been blessed with the opportunity to have Caleb Quay uh, lead us for these last two weeks. And Caleb has been a mentor to Angelica. When Angelica was questioning kind of her gifts, her talent, and direction, Caleb was a voice of reason to speak into her life and kind of guide her in faith in what God's big plan is. So uh, Angelica attributes her confirmation in her calling uh, to Caleb and his guidance in that time. And so uh, today we're going to do something a little different since we have uh, Caleb here this morning. Some of you guys don't know who he is. I think we have a picture uh, of Caleb back in the day and you might get a little glimpse of who he is. Okay, I know he changed a little bit, but he didn't change that much. Um, and this is Caleb and of course the left is Elton John. And uh, Caleb is going to be sharing his testimony this morning, and I just wanted to set this up really briefly. Uh, Caleb uh, was friends with Elton before he was ever called Elton. Uh, his name was Dwight, uh, Red, 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 Red Dwight. You never heard of Red Dwight, you probably never would have, but God used Caleb before Caleb was even in the tape to bring him into a studio to record all these other great things, but he's played with all kinds of people from Paul McCartney to um, to uh, Eric Clapton and uh, just all kinds of amazing players. I'm going to let him fill you in on that. But God used them at a crucial point to kind of bridge Elton into the world of his music. And that went on to shape a world. And then God got a hold of him and used him in profound ways. But I just want to, if you would give a warm round of applause for Caleb. Thank you very much. It's great to be here with you. And, uh, and I was really honored when uh, Angelica asked me if I would step in for her. So it, it's good to be here. Um, that picture. <laughs> okay. That young flower up there, that picture was taken at Madison Square Garden in 1976. I was about 26 years old at the time. So that's a picture of a young man who was uh, part of a, a music group that was the biggest thing on the planet at that time. We were uh, breaking all kind of records for stadium concerts. We were the Madison Square Garden actually that was taken in that year we were the first band to sell out Madison Square Garden for seven days straight. Just to give you an idea, so it was like life at the top of the tree. So that's a picture of a young man who, on the outside, externally, had it made, whatever it was, or whatever people think it is, you know. And uh, so on the outside, it was, you know, you look at that picture and you go, wow, everyone goes, wow. It was the wow life, you know, in every dimension you, you can imagine. But on the inside, I was a lost, hurting, angry young man. Earning more money than I ever could have dreamt of. And with all of the, the stuff that goes with that lifestyle, I had it all. You know, and, uh, and lost it all and didn't know what I was doing, you know. Was it fun? Yeah, lots of fun. It was crazy. It was everything. It was, you know, people, people ask me, they say, what's it like living that kind of life? And I said, it's about as far removed from normal as you can imagine. You know, it was all limousines and security guards and... and you know, we're doing these shows. Back then, we used to do a four-hour show every night. Four hours. 
complete with, you know, four or five encores, people screaming, going crazy, then off into a limousine, you know. And I always remember people used to say to me, especially friends, you know, acquaintances in the, in the music industry at the time, they used to be telling me, oh, Caleb, you've really made it now, it. You've really made it now. And I remember going back to, to our hotel, our hotel room, because we'd run off the stage into a limousine, run off, you know, show off to the hotel, and uh, still in our stage clothes, you know. And, and I look at myself in the mirror, and I used to say to myself, there's got to be something else. <laughs> Because whatever it was, it wasn't working, you know. You know the popular question people say, uh, they ask and say, well, so how's it working for you? You know, you know, so how's it working for you? You know, uh, if you'd have asked that young guy back then in that, that you saw in that picture, how's it working for you? The answer would be most probably not too good. Even though on the outside, to everybody else, it looked great. You know, I could drive whatever, I could have whatever car I wanted to, the whole, the whole thing, you know. But inside, no, it wasn't working for me. It wasn't working for me. So, how does somebody like that come to meet Jesus? You know, I had a lot of questions. I grew up in England, as you can most probably tell by the accent, that's where it comes from, it's England, and I'm so glad you like my accent because it's the only one I've got, so we just, you know, just do that right there. And uh, so I grew up in religion. I used to sing in the choir at St. Paul's Cathedral, and my local church in Finchley, which is where Margaret Thatcher came from, and uh, so heard all about religion, never heard the gospel. I was never an atheist, I just thought God was too busy in his administration of the universe to be concerned with somebody like me. So um, I know all about religion and everything, and I enjoyed my time as a kid singing in the church choir, got a great music education out of it, etc. But um, after Elton John's band, after being at the top of the tree, then he disbanded, actually shortly after this concert, uh, disbanded that that the rubber was pulled, you know. So then I ended up with a band called Hall and Oates. Have you heard of Hall and Oates? Sarah Smile, all that stuff. So it was touring. So still kind of up there, you know, but it, things were getting even more miserable. But that was not a good time for me, you know. And for all kinds of reasons. But, um, and of course, I, you know, I was a hippie guy, came up in the 60s, the hippie stuff and everything, you know, so I had questions. I had questions about spirituality. Read all the books, chased all the gurus, did all the drugs, you know, the whole nine yards, you know, looking for something. And I had questions, you know. So one day, when I'm touring with Paul and Oates, on my 30th birthday, 1978, we did a gig in Atlanta, and the last week I heard your pastor use this term, which I'm assuming is a common term uh, in terms of when people come to Christ. He used the, the, the word waking up. When was your time to wake up? And I thought about this week, about that this week, and I'm thinking, you know, with each God is so creative that He has a different wake up for everybody. You know, so mine was kind of a process. There was an initial thing and then there was there was you know it didn't all happen at once. But the first thing he did was catch my attention, which was in this hotel room in Atlanta, Georgia. And in fact I've written a book about it and we just finished doing making a movie on it. It's taken me seven years to uh, complete this documentary, this autobiographical documentary on my life. And uh, it'll be out next year, so you will see it. And uh, it'll be fun. But, but more than fun, I believe it's going to be uh, a great witness for Jesus to a generation that, uh, that's, been in, that's like the kind of music that I was involved with. And uh, so it began, we did this concert, on my 30th birthday in Atlanta, 
And after the concert finished, went back to the hotel, the Omni Theater, the Omni Hotel, adjacent to the place, and the band threw a surprise birthday party for me. So they just barged into my room, which was on the ninth floor, with this cake, which had all kind of drugs on it. It was a very illegal birthday party, and so we did what rock and rollers do. We partied on through the night, you know. So when they crawled out of my room in the wee hours of the morning, I'm sat on a chair with my back to the window on the ninth floor of this hotel. And I sat there just chilling out, and all of a sudden, I heard a voice speak to me. Now, as I said, I wasn't looking at the time, I wasn't looking for Jesus, I wasn't necessarily looking for God, I was just, I had questions, and I was searching for something, didn't even know what, searching for something spiritual, supernatural, something. And this voice cut through my world as I understood it at that point, called me by my name and said these words, Caleb, from this point on, your life is going to be completely different and nothing's going to be the same for you again. And in an instant, I'm no longer high on the drugs. I'm sat there in the midst of this electric silence in this hotel room. The voice was so loud, I actually thought somebody had come into my room. I turned around and looked down the hallway to see who was there. There was no one there. And all I could figure out was, in my limited understanding, was that I had been spoken to, I just did not know by whom. So I sat there in the midst of that electric silence and made a promise to myself. I said, one day, I'm going to find out who that voice belonged to. Now this was my 30th birthday, and as you all know, in rock and roll, 30 is a weird age. You're supposed to die at 30. Right, Andrew, everybody, you know, and some of my friends wrote songs about it, you know, The Who and Pete Townsend, all these guys. So I'm on tour and I would bump into other musicians, you know, some of the guys from Queen and what have you, you know, airports and stuff. A word went out in the industry that Caleb had just turned 30. I bumped into these guys and they'd say, Hey man, we heard you just turned 30. Like, what happened? Like, as if I'm supposed to, like, keel over right there, you know? And so I would tell them what I just told you about hearing this voice. I'd tell them the story. And the responses I got were pretty interesting. It was kind of like, wow, man, that's really far out. Like, what were you smoking? Where could we get something? You know, say, that's pretty good, but, you know. But I'd say, no, this was a real deal. I really heard it. This was something... You know, this was a real deal. You know, oh, yeah, really? Like, who's the dealer? Did you hook a brother up? You know? <laughs> and so all this went on. But this is the thing. And maybe some of you need to hear this. Because I found out that when God, when God speaks to you, you can't shake him. You can try and run and hide and duck and dive. But when God, the one who created you, to the one who knows you more than we know ourselves, when he speaks to you, you cannot shake him. And I could not shake this. This thing stuck in my head for years. That was in 1978. Right after that tour finished, I went home and it was basically a period of time where basically everything in my life that could go wrong, it went wrong. Marriage broke up. Bankruptcy, lost the whole thing. Used to have a thriving studio career. All of a sudden, the phones were ringing. Everything went wrong, and I still got this voice in my head. I could not shake those words. One day during this period of time, now we move the clock on to like 1980. I meet a guy, very well-known musician. His name is Chester Thompson. Plays drums. You may know him from Genesis and Phil Collins, and. Uh, he invited me to play on a project with him. We became good friends, and I found out he and his wife were Christians. They would tell me they were Christians. And that didn't mean anything. It was like, okay, yeah, that's good for you. Good, you know, you're all familiar with that one. Yeah, that's good for you, whatever, you know, whatever floats your boat, you know. But here's the kicker. Here I am 
are just a mess. Trying to survive on drugs and studio work or whatever, and selling cars and, and just crazy stuff. And there's something about this man and his wife, I couldn't pick my, put my finger on it, but there was something different about him. And I thought, what is it with this guy? Here we are, we're the same age, we're like a month apart in age, we're in the same line of work, but he's not crazy like everybody else I know. He's not like the other people in the industry that I know. And the only way I could describe it was there was a peace, a peace, and a, I described it as a solidity. There was something solid about him, him and his wife. And it was attractive to me, because I was a mess. And I thought, this, I didn't tell him, but I used to say to myself, whatever this guy and his wife have got, I want it. They've got something. I need. I didn't, I, I, I didn't know what it was. And they were beautiful. They didn't preach to me. They didn't show, try and shove a Bible down my throat. None of that at all. I'd watch them pray over a meal and that, that was it, you know. And then one time we would have, um, and now I want to talk about a setup. God is great at a setup. Most probably every one of you in this room are here because you've got set up by God. See, I love the laughter. It's the laughter of identification. Amen. Great. So here's the setup. His wife, and we joke about it to this day, we, she would cook this wonderful meal called an African stew. And so they'd invite me over. And by this time, we used to rehearse at his house. We have a band go rehearse at his house. And at the end of the day, she would make this meal. Hey, have some African stew. Okay. And then we'd have this conversation. And uh, it was so funny because she would wait until I finished my meal. And I'm scarfing down this room. Oh, yeah, yeah, yum, yum, yum. Put the knife and fork down. And so she would say, okay, Caleb, why don't you just go ahead and tell us just exactly what do you believe? Logical question, right? So I would launch into this like 40 minute monologue of complete rubbish. <laughs> It started off somewhere around Star Trek, <laughs> and it would go through all kinds of, you know, astrology and all kind of new agey stuff and rabbit's feet, and, <laughs> and it would wind its way down to finishing off with that word, you know what it is like, man, you know, marijuana, it grows in the ground, same place as vegetables and potatoes, surely that's okay with God too, right? My friend Chester would sat across the table, I can still see him now in his t-shirt, very patient guy, you know. <clears throat> they didn't preach nothing. All he would say to me when, he, when I wound down and finished, he would say, yeah man, I know what you mean man. You just need Jesus. <laughs> That's it. I thought I'd done a great job of trying to explain myself. You know, I speak English pretty good, you know. And I thought I'd done a great job of communicating what I felt like believed in. And I was caught because at the same time I'm saying all this stuff, but deep down inside I'm knowing that the very things that I'm saying that I thought I professed to believe in could not fix my internal condition. And I had to go home and go to sleep. Now I like my sleep. I had to go home. I went home. I laid on that bed. My eyeballs were wide open. And all I got is, you just need Jesus. His words, you just need Jesus. Just those words were rattling around inside of me like ball bearings in a tin can. You know, then I show up the next day from rehearsal and I'm like, just like, dead. You know, didn't get any sleep. <laughs> so one day, Easter day, 1982, Chester calls me up. He says, hey man, what are you doing? Well, I've been up all night dealing drugs and doing crazy stuff. I said, oh, I don't feel too good, man. What's up? He says, it's Easter. Why don't you come to church with me today? And I'm on the phone, and all I can tell you is, when he said those words, it's like the world stopped. And I thought, 
notes. One in church. So I said to him, okay, I'll come to church with you. And I could hear him on the other end of the phone with his wife going, yes, he's coming. <laughs> so uh, he said, yeah, Neil, we'll come and pick you up. Okay, great, take him to church. So he took me to church, which was church on the way in there, nice. Easter Day 1982. It was their first Easter service in what was their, their, their brand new building. They moved into the bigger building. So it's interesting. How many know first, first, uh, first impressions kind of are, are quite a bit, they're quite important, you know? So the last time I'd set foot into a church was when I was a kid. About, well, I guess about 15 years old. And uh, the church that I grew up in England was built in the 12th century. We're talking old. The original stained glass windows, the original cobwebs, everything was gloomy and doom. Nobody was smiling and laughing like you guys, you know what I mean? There was no Holy Spirit that bypassed that place a long time ago. I mean, it was the droning organ and the hymns and everybody was pickled in religion, you know? So now we're in this brand new building and it's all light and bright and with the foyer and there's hundreds of people, it's a big church, hundreds of people and they're doing the fellowship thing and they're smiling and the hugging and everything. So I thought, first impression, there's no way that this can be a church because these people are happy. That's what I thought, you know. And so Chester says, yeah, don't worry, we'll go, we'll go in, we'll take a seat. So we walk through the two doors, just like your two doors up the front there, into the sanctuary, right? The first thing I see is this massive Yamaha mixing console, the sound engineer behind it. There's drums, there's guitars, there's all these instruments on the platform, it's Easter, they're going all out, you know. And I thought, ah, oh, this is not a way. This is a church. You've got to be kidding me. Then I thought, aha, I've got it. Chester's taken me to a surprise gig, and any minute now, the Grateful Dead are going to come out and come the That's what I thought, you know. So we, we go in and we take our seat, you know, and then they start the, work, the worship time. Pastor Jack comes out and, and they start the worship stuff. Well, they start singing now, they, they weren't doing the hymns as much, but they, they were doing these things that we call choruses, which I didn't know anything about. But they started to sing this one song. How many of you know that God can do amazing things through music? And they started singing this one song called, In My Life Lord Be Glorified. Be Glorified today. Very simple chorus, and it just goes round and round and round, you know, loops round, you know. And uh, so I'm listening to this, and of course, being a musician, I'm starting to analyze the chord changes. Oh, this is nice, yeah, nice, very nice, you know. And this tune, but it was weird. It was like I didn't hear all the lyric. It was like the, the, the lyric was shrouded in the fog, except for one word. When it goes, Be glorified today. Yeah. Today just jumped out like. And it kept looping it around so it today. Today. What? And I was thinking, well, something's up with today. This is a different kind of today than any other kind of today I've ever could ever think about. What? And something's going down today. And as I'm trying to process this, the same voice I heard in the hotel room. Back on my 30th birthday in 1978, and now this is 1982, that voice I never could shake suddenly speaks to me in the middle of that one word tune of worship and called me by my name and said, Caleb, it's time for you to come home to me today because I have a brand new life for you. said yes to Jesus. That's when I said yes to Jesus. The most important yes a human being can ever say is yes to our Savior, to Jesus. It's the same yes to God. But I was still a drug addict. I'd been into it heavy for 18 years by that time. How to get off drugs, I'll try and make it real short. And there's two days in the calendar year that are really important for me. One is Easter Day, and the other one is Pentecost Sunday. 
roll clock on the Pentecost. Ch Chester had left town, <coughs> and uh, I was getting real sick. And I lay, was ended up laid out on the bed in my house, and I was about to die. My nervous system just came undone, and I shook violently from head to toe, and I knew I was going to die. If I didn't get out of this, I knew I was going to die. So I cried out to God. And I'd forgotten what had happened back, in, back on the Easter day. So I just screamed out to God, and I said this, this crazy prayer. You know, sometimes God likes crazy prayers, you know. And I said, God, it, it began with God first. I want to say I'm sorry. I've become something that was never your plan. I know now it was never your plan for me to become a drug addict. And I said, if you would just help me turn this page in my book and give me Jesus, I'll give you the rest of my life. Right after I finished that prayer, the same voice spoke to me again. Caleb, go get yourself baptized today. I said, okay. Then I thought, how do I do that? <laughs> so I thought, well, let me call Chester. It just so happened. This was a Sunday morning, and Chester had just gotten back off the road from Genesis the day before, on the Saturday. Hey man, how are you doing? I said, well, I'm not too, doing too good right now. All I know is I need to get baptized today. Can you help me? And he's, he starts to get excited. He says, do you know what day it is today? I said, oh, I'm not sure. I think, I think it's Sunday. He said, <coughs> he said, it's Pentecost. I said, what's that? So then he starts trying to give me a Bible study down the front of the birth of the church. The Holy Spirit. I said, stop. Sounds great. All I know is I need to get my body in the water today. Can you help me? He says, yeah, okay, they're doing a service and they're, doing, they're going to do some baptisms uh, this evening. Because uh, they said something like services. We'll come and pick you up. Okay, so he come, comes and picks me up. I get baptized, come long story short, I had an experience standing in the line there with the people waiting to get baptized. I'm at the end of the line in my white robe, and all I can tell you is God just took me up to heaven. Something opened up above here, I hear that voice, he came in, you're a musician, I want you to come up here and hear this. I shoot up out of here, I leave this place. To me, it's like I'm gone for three days or something. And I'm hearing the music of heaven, the worship that's going on in heaven, which is unlike anything in this realm at all. It's washing over me in ways that are indescribable. And all I can remember is I turned to the fellow standing next to me and screamed to him, Somebody better get me in the water quick because I can't stand this anymore. And I pushed my way to the front and dived in. One of the pastors grabbed me by the throat, dumped me in, it's okay. Hey, son, we're going to get it all out. <laughs> but here's the deal, folks. I went in the water, an 18-year drug addict. When they pulled me out, I was brand new. I went in there with a messed up mind. A messed up mind. When they pulled me out, I had this revelation which has never left me to this day. Which is one of the reasons why I love to share about being accepted. And the revelation was simply this, that God knew me and had now accepted me as one of His own. That's salvation, folks. My favorite scripture, for me personal life scripture, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And that literally means a new genesis. It's all being worked over, brand, a new creation. The old things passed away, and all things become new. See, it's really not my testimony, it's his testimony. That's what we all share. It's his testimony of how he so loved us, 
He set us up to come back home to Him who has created us. Amen. That's all I got, bro. That's how I got. And uh, by the way, I just want to fill this part in there. Um, you were on, this is the, this is, uh, I'm just trying to put some of the storyline together. Um, somebody said, uh, I'm trying to think who it was, not uh, Eric Clapton. Oh, was on the, was the Letterman show? Oh, yeah. Eric Clapton was on the Letterman show and said to, to uh, Letterman, asked him, what is it like to be the greatest guitar player in the world? And Eric Clapton on the Letterman show said, well, I don't know. You would have to ask Caleb Quay. And so uh, what's amazing is like, I know he's a humble guy, but he's had this diverse background and all these other things and people he's played with, all the way uh, people from Paul McCartney to Frank Zappa with very complicated stuff where most people can't play in those circles. And it's just amazing that, that God has you in this different place. I just want to ask you this one question. Everybody wonders when they look at, you know, America's Got Talent or The Boys, and they look, they look at singing in front of crowds, or they look at these national stars that are, you know, world-renowned, and they're on stages. And everyone in their mind typically thinks that that level of fame would be so profound and life-changing and everything. And I just would want to ask you, how would you, having been on all sides of this thing, compare... The feeling at Madison Square Garden on the seventh night, breaking a record up there, doing a solo. How do you compare that to singing a song to the audience of one, whether there's people around or not? And what, what is that like? Because people don't know even that idea, many don't. And other people are enamored with that other idea. Sure, what it might be. How would you gotcha. break that down? Gotcha. It's actually, it's actually very simple. When you... The show, like the Madison Square Garden or whatever, whatever it is, you know, the, 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 the secular, you know, show, is nothing more than that. It's a well-rehearsed show, and it can be great, you know, all the pizzazz and the smoke and mirrors and everything. It's a show. It's entertainment, and you buy your ticket. You go see the show, you jump up and down, you have a great time, you enjoy the show, and when you leave that auditorium, having paid your ticket, fundamentally, you're still the same person that you were before you paid your ticket, right? Now, in a worship context, now we're talking about where I'm in the kingdom of God now, oh, God can, as I've just said, can radically interrupt your world and profoundly change you at the deepest level of your being in one word of a song, or one verse, or one, you know, any portion of a song. It's amazing. So that without having even paid a ticket, when you enter into that worship, get under worship, you know, you leave the building changed. You can't put a price tag on that. You cannot put a price tag on that. It's really, it's, it's, I can't tell you the number of, you know, well, I just say, you know, last Sunday I was here and I had a word for, for your son, Kay. You know, and it's so funny. This week he's been on my mind because something happened to him when I gave that word. And he's standing on his crutches and he must have But I saw he was like leaning into this word. It was Mr. Powell at the same time. He was leaning, he was listening. I mean, it was, I saw it going into him. And he was, you know, it was affecting him on a deep level. You can't, you can't buy a ticket for that, and you can't rehearse it. It's not a show. It's the spirit of God. It's the kingdom of God. It's the way, the truth, and the life that comes from Jesus. Well, and just to fill you guys in, he, he was at the indoor trampolines and hyperextended his knee, and it was going to be six to eight weeks. 
sport. He can do things. And it was the, the, that day or the next day, he put the crutches down. And he's getting around fine. He's shooting baskets in the back. So God is good. And, and you know, this is a biblical thing. You know, Paul told Timothy the same thing. He said, Timothy, don't forget the word. It's the scripture. The word that was spoken over you when God gave his word and he laid hands on you. In other words, the Spirit of God moved that way. It changed Timothy's life. Remember what God says. It's a biblical thing to prophesy and hear, get a word from God. Dude, that's not a weird thing. It's a scriptural thing. And it usually happens among the family of believers as the context for which it happens. Let me ask you this one other question. Because this is an area close to my heart, too. Um, I played in, you know, bands, not the level he did, but pursued, you know, five, six, seven nights a week, ripping solos, doing this stuff, and trying to get a, we had the Beverly Hills lawyers representing us to get a deal, and finally I met Jesus, and so I sold all my Marshall stacks and custom guitars. He's the best lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Amen. Um, and then, then you, you, you come into this realm of music, and then you begin to understand worship is not just music, it's a whole experience of adoring God and it's got a lot of layers to it. So let me, let me ask you this question. Because you're a worship leader, you get this. When, when it comes to worship, adoration, um, there are many people that are, I would even say pastors from my experience, if you were to ask them the question, what does it mean to enter into worship? Um, if you ask that, the Bible says we enter into His courts with thanksgiving and praise. God inhabits the praise of literally meeting with God. But if you were to ask even pastors, my experience, um, what is it like to enter in? And, I don't know. Sing songs, uh, you know. And but other people are like, I have entered in worship, and it's changed my life and experience. So it seems to be when it comes to singing songs and Christian music, some have entered into an ex not what chase an experience, but a reality through worship, and others have no idea what that even is, out of all fairness to me, they were never taught of it. How would you address that as a worship leader? Because that is a space, I believe, that changed my life. And one day I was an outsider for a long time. And once I became an insider, I've never been the same. And so it's a biblical thing. We see this in script. But how, how would you as a worship leader encourage people to taste and see this great realm? Actually, I, I think that the... I guess the secret, if you like, is actually built into the scripture in Psalm 100 verse 4. As you said, enter his gates with thanksgiving. So for me, I see thanksgiving as being foundational to worship. See, it's an act of faith based on what? Remembrance of what God has done. So, let me go a little bit deeper. If I'm thankful for something, if I'm thankful, in order to be thankful, something has had to have happened. I can't be thankful for nothing. So, so like if I, you know, I'll take this fruit here. Okay. I'm going to give you a gift. You know, here's a gift. You know, he's smiling. Why is he smiling? Because he's received the gift. Right? So for us believers, our thanksgiving begins with the fact that we have received this gift of salvation from God, through Jesus. That's where it starts. So now if we're trying to enter in by singing the songs, memorizing the words, and all, we're just doing religion. We're just stepping into religious performance. But if we come in saying thank you, and quite honestly, for me, for myself, with what God did to me on that day on Pentecost, I'd never stop saying thank you. That's, that thank you governs my life. If nothing else is going on, thank you, Lord, I'm breathing because I should have died. You know, yeah. you know, <laughs> so if the whole thing stems from thanks, enter with thanksgiving. Not with, well, I'm going to, you know, be the best singer today. It has nothing to do with that. It's, you know. So does the scripture not say we love him because he first loved us? It's reciprocal. So everything we do, if we're talking about a relationship with God, it's based upon this reciprocal thing. 
He first loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were without strength. See, that's what Baptist does. It's, the whole thing is based on thanksgiving. So that's the difference. Let me ask you this, what, what would you say, uh, when I became a believer and I, I'm going to church and they're playing the music, they're doing the music, uh, worship, I didn't understand what worship is, I skipped it. I came from the message, I wanted something encouraging, you know, I didn't know what they were doing. Some people were clapping their hands or raising their hands, I'm like, that's, that's all weird to me. Uh, I, I didn't know anything about that coming so, so we always view things compared to where we are at, and so that's weird. But, but eventually, when I did sense... God pulling me into this, trusting Him, yeah. and this yeah. intimacy, really, intimacy, um, I realized I, I couldn't help but say thank you and show kind of some sign or symbol of my expression of God. What would you say, uh, some people that's so foreign from their culture, their background, their everything, uh, and yet as I read the Bible, I see them in the Bible, these expressions even in the Old Testament of people kneeling, raising hands and doing these things. What, what would you say uh, about the expression part of worship? Uh, is it an important part? Is it kind of inconsequential? Um, you know, you see in churches some worship and others read hymn book. You know, but there, there's something about expression. And what would you speak to as far as uh, expression? And is it is it important? And what would you encourage? I I think it is important. I remember being taught one day that the, for instance, the, the lifting of hands was symbolic of the fact that I'm not God in my heart. So we all have our, we all have our issues, well, that's a common issues, you know, of the heart, you know. But when I'm in worship before God, I'm raising my hands. It's, it's like I'm saying to God, my heart, I, I'm opening my heart to you. I'm not, I'm not putting a defense over my heart. I'm opening it all to you for you to have access to my heart. You know, because I recognize... You're my father, and you have my best interests at heart. So it's it's an attitude of trust as well. God, here's my heart. All the wounds, all the scars, it's all yours. It's all yours because you're the author of life. Yeah. So so I think expression is important, even beginning with the smile that says that says thank you. You know. You know, and I grew up in a church where nobody was thankful. It was pure religion. Everybody was miserable. We used to sing in the church, I don't laugh at people. No, look at that one. <laughs> and eat sweets. Look at that. No, what? You know, because everybody was miserable. There was no joy. You know, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So the whole thing is reciprocal. You know, uh, my dear wife, if I was to get up and say, you know, in the morning and, and say, I love you. And, you know, she would say, could you kind of say it like you might, might mean it? <laughs> so expression is everything, you know, expression is everything. It's an outward sign of what's going on in the heart, you know. You know, and uh, so... Yeah, so I think, you know, parenting, kids, I'm a grandpa these days, I have three daughters, two grandchildren, you know, so, so you know, being a parent, raising kids, you know, seeing kids express themselves, I'll never forget, and I, I don't, tell me if I'm going to tell but when my youngest daughter, um, she must have been about four, three, four years old at the time, but she just started to learn to paint and draw I'd come home from work, you know, and she couldn't wait for Dad to come home because she couldn't wait to show me her drawing that she had done that day for her dad. And she had worked tirelessly on this thing. And finally, over the minute I said, Hey Daddy, Daddy, look at this, look, this is for you. And I'd look at it and it looked like Picasso on steroids. And it was just like, but of course, being a dad, oh, that's great, because I love this kid. And, oh, sweetie, that's wonderful. Could you do me another one? You know what that whole thing is? That's worship. God showed that to me one day. That's worship. She did the best that she could for her father because she loved her father. 
There's scripture about that. Oh, Colossians 3, 17. And whatever you do, <laughs> do it with thanksgiving unto God. You know. So she did that just purely because she loved her father. You know, she would jump up and down. You know, I used to pick her up from school. She'd run around and think, it's my daddy. You know. <laughs> Expression. Oh, I think it means a whole lot. You know. Because expressionless directing in love towards our Father gets us away from ourselves. Well, let me ask you this last question. Oh, I'm sure. Last question. Yeah, because I, we're, we're going to we're going to close in worship and we're going to end with some prayer. But uh, to any in the room who are creative in the creative arts, whether it's writing, singing, uh, whether it's through music, whether it's through you know, writing uh, storylines or drawing or any, any aspect of the art. What would your advice be? You've seen people, very amazing, talented people. Some's directed well. Some are clearly being used in the church. Some are using their gifts in the world and they live in God. Uh, what, what would your advice be to the creatives among us when it comes to gifting? Uh, from what you know now, looking back, uh, what, what would your advice be? Well, I think uh, immediately the scripture comes to mind. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no shadow of turning. So, <clears throat> all those things that you mentioned are gifts given by God. Some people are gifted for music. Some people are gifted visually, uh, audit auditorially, uh, fine arts, whatever it is. You know, these are gifts. This is a gift from God. You know, and the purpose of that gift is to bring light into the world through art. That's the purpose of art, is to bring light into the world. You know, and actually I talk about this in, in the movie as well. And, because um, <clears throat> I had to once ask the question, what's the purpose of the creative gift? You know, because here's the thing is, as, as a musician, we're given this gift, it's fundamentally a gift of hearing. The hearing has to happen before the playing. You know, if you can't hear it, you can't play it. You know, so I had to ask the question, okay, God, what's the purpose of this gift? Because here's the conundrum. Once you've got the gift, you can't switch it off. You can't switch it off. You know, I hear music all the time. You know, ask my wife, we go to a restaurant or something, they're playing music in the background. My ears are up there, I'm, I'm in that music, I'm analyzing those changes, you know. We were in some restaurant one day, some Brazilian jazz is playing, and I'm like, oh yeah, my wife is talking to me, and I'm eating, you know, and all of a sudden I see her eyebrows start to knit, you know, something going on, and all of a sudden her words start to come through this fog. And I can hear, you're not listening to me, are you? <laughs> okay, busted again, you know. But we have this gift, we can't switch it off. And there's a lot more I can say about that, but every good, so you have these gifts, so what, what's the purpose of it? It's to, it's to point people towards God. It's part of your witness in this world is the creative gifts that you've been endowed with. Now that doesn't necessarily mean, well it's all going to be church, church, church. No, no, no. It's part of your witness to a lost and broken world. You know, the ability to draw whatever, whatever those gifts are. You know, so you have to come to terms with that. And... Um, and he's given these gifts as these gifts to help us articulate the journey that we're on through this life. I've actually written a piece of this, so I'll send it to you. Yeah, but um, but that's that's really it. And what's the, the end result is what? And this for me as a musician, I'll just speak for myself. As a musician, what I'm about these days. Now you know, next year I'll be 70 years old. But God willing, however long He wants me here is to use my music, and I go out and play in the second world, but to use my music as a means to motivate people to look up in hope instead of looking down in despair. That's my mission. Now, people say, what do you do? I'm a musicianary. <laughs>
we're going to close out in worship, but um, I, I, I just want to encourage you with the word you have shared that as a musician, uh, it's so true, you cannot play unless you hear. You, you have to hear, you know, even definitely they feel some vibration. You, you got to have the audit, you got to have the input before you can have output. And I just want to encourage you guys, uh, this week, here's my personal challenge for you is to camp out with the Lord, spend some time one-on-one, -on -one, stop the world, be still, know that He's God. Yeah. I want to encourage you to pray, to really seek God. The Bible says, if you seek me and you seek me with all your heart, if you do, I will be found by you. God says, I will be found by you when you seek me. This is a personal encounter with the living God that He promises throughout Scripture. So I want to encourage you this week, camp out with the Lord, Read His Word. Pray before you do. Say, Word of God, speak. Speak to me, God. Speak to me through Your Word. And if you don't hear His voice through the Word, sit there and pray and listen and say, God, some of you are not used to learning to listen, maybe. But learning to listen is an art form. It's something you develop over time, learning how to listen. I trust God wants to speak to you and begin to show you. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the counselor and the comforter. The fact that He counsels means He speaks comforting things and he counsels us in the way we should go. So God, by his very nature, does want to speak so that we can respond. So I want to encourage you guys this week, um, in order for us to play as children of God, we should be able to hear first. I want to encourage you to do that, spend some time with God. The other thing I wanted to ask you is if some of our leaders can come up here for a prayer time. I, I just, I'm feeling the burden today specifically for anyone in this room who has a musical gift or an artistic gift of any kind. Uh, to come up and get prayer, because I think today is a is a day to kind of, um, as Caleb had said, if it's in you, you can't shut it off. It's in you, God put it in you. And if God put it in you, He wants to come out of you. That's what stewardship is about. If God put it in you, He wants to come out. I don't care if you have an accounting gift or an administration gift or a leadership gift, whatever your gift is, God put it in you because He wants it to come out of you, and I would just want to encourage anybody with any musical arts or any artistic arts in any kind of way of the arts in general, I want to encourage you maybe to come up, some of our prayer team can come up, Christine can come up and pray. Pray for, I want to encourage you, don't skip out on this. If you have a gift in this area, whether you're using it much or maybe it's in a season where it's carrying right now, I want to encourage you to come up and get prayer because God wants to bless something. And this new year, I trust, is going to be different with your artistic gifts than it's ever been before. So thank you for coming this morning. And uh, again, we're going to close out the worship. Our prayer team's going to come up here. And then after this uh, next worship song, we're going to exit through these doors. It's a fellowship area. Uh, get to know one another, hang out with some food, snacks. And uh, God bless you. Hope to see you at our midweek uh, discipleship for men and women and uh, prayer meeting on Wednesday as well. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.